I don't know if you heard about the little boy who was sitting there just so intent, drawing and drawing and drawing, and his teacher walked up behind him, and she said, what are you doing? He said, I, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, well, um, nobody knows what God looks like. And he said, they will when I'm done. <laughs> you know, what, what is God like? Have you ever thought about that? I, I mean, I'm sure you have. But what we're about to look at today will help you understand God better and understand life better. And, and we're in the midst of a, a, a long series where we're exploring together the amazing truth of Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says to us, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and hope. And, and the word plans means I know what I want to interweave into your life. Well, to understand God's weaving in our life, we need to understand God's sovereign will. And we also need to understand his immutable will. And then we need to understand his permissive will. And, and today we're going to dig into the whole idea of the sovereignty of God. And the fact that he has a, a will that is just lock solid that can't be changed. And when we begin to see it, 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 it gets a little, I want to say, for some people, shocking. Because God reveals a lot of who he is, and sometimes we don't want to look at it the right way. I, I mean, and, and it begins, by the way, to start answering some questions. And I'm not saying all of them, but, you know, we all walk around with these questions just wondering, you know, well, what about this, God? Why is there evil in the world? Why is there suffering? Why? And we ask all these things. But, but in the end, while we may not get the answer to all of them, hopefully we just come to this conclusion that God is God. I uh, don't know if you heard about Billy Ingram. Billy Ingram said this, God is God and he's not applying for the job. There really is no other God. You don't have any other choice in this. And um, a, a few years ago, uh, a young guy who had gotten a scholarship to West Point and uh, is off the charts intelligent, he has actually gone to West Point and graduated and is having a stellar military career. His name is Pat Matthews. And uh, Pat had all the questions that everybody asked and he just wasn't sure whether he was willing to throw himself in to Christianity and to really live this life. But if he knew this, if he was going to do it, he would do it wholeheartedly. And so he kept trying to get answers to the questions. And he was finally sitting one day with a friend of mine named Steve Bader. And uh, he's asking this and asking that and asking this and going, I just don't know. And Pat told me, Steve looked at him and said, Pat, I, I got to be honest. I don't think I can answer all your questions. So I'm going to tell you three things that are true. Get ready. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you're not him. And number three, you need him. And Pat told me he walked out of there and saw those are true. And he gave his life to Christ. Now, not everybody would be drawn to that line of faith just from that. But that just rocked him. There is a God. And, and we're not him. And we don't govern him. And we need him. Look what it says in Isaiah 45, verse 5. God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun that there is no God or no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Now notice this. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Now, when you look at that last part, I think a lot of go, whoa, 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 creating calamity. Uh, uh, and, and when we begin to understand God does at times do that, 
it, it causes us to have to make a choice. We can either go with the perspective Job had or, or not have the perspective he had. If you're in Job chapter 2 with me, look what it says here. Because this is an amazingly difficult place and position to arrive at and hold on to. And it says in Job 2 verse 10, But Job said to his wife, to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now I want to ask you that question. Are we going to only accept good from God and not accept adversity when he brings it in? Understanding later on more than ever that when God does that, that it's always ultimately for the benefit, always ultimately to give us a future and a hope. But it's tough to cling to that way of thinking when we see things happen that hit very close to home. Uh, when a hurricane hits and destroys the city. When a tornado hits a town and a trailer comes down hard, killing a small child. And when a child is born handicapped and then you turn to Exodus 4 verse 11 where it says, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, now I, I don't know if I've got you, but that, that usually is a tough one to take in. When a, a child's born and, and can't see, and we go, oh, what a tragedy. And God goes, no, that's not a tragedy. You, your, your perspective's wrong. You don't have it right. You don't see what's about to come from this in an amazing way. And we go, wait, 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 God. But that doesn't fit in my, my kind of economy and my way of viewing things. And you know what God's answer is? Now, you may not like this, but let me give it to you. God's answer is this. Well, I'm God, and I don't really care what you think. I don't do things your way. I am the Lord. There is no other. And I, I at times, create calamity. I, at times, cause a person to be blind or mute or deaf. I do that. And, and we step back and go, whoa, this isn't what I thought of. This isn't how I thought things should be. And God says, but you know what the reality is, is, is I do this. And we begin to ask those questions when life hits hard. When a husband goes to the store to buy milk for his family and is shot. And, and the wife and children are left to struggle with what's, what what, what's going to happen in our lives. And we say, God, you're there if you're there. Why? 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 And God God's doesn't always answer uh, Job, look over at Job chapter 9, and look what it says in verses 1 to 12. Let's read the whole thing. This is just an amazing section. Then Job answered, verse 2, In truth, I know that this is so, but how can a man be right before God? If one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him one in a thousand times. Wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has defied him without harm? It is God who removes the mountains, and they not, not, know not how. When he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its, tiller, its pillars tremble, who commands the sun not to shine and sets a seal upon the stars, who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea, who makes the bear Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things, unfathomable and wondrous works without numbers. Now, verse 11, don't miss this. Were he to pass by me, I could not see him. You know, God is here today, and, and we physically can't see him. And Job said this amazing, uh, immense, all-powerful, all-knowing God. He passes by us sometimes, and we don't see. It says, were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. Were he to snatch away, who could restrain him? Who could say to him, what are you doing? 
Job said, I, a wise person wouldn't do that. Uh, I, he said, I know God, and I know who he is, and I know how powerful, and I know how amazing, and I've learned a secret in life, and that is that I'm going to trust him, and I can't always understand what he's doing, and I can't always sense his presence. Now, knowing these truths we just looked at, I want to lock into two truths that you've got to hang on to to understand this subject and get ready to go into the next couple weeks. The first truth is this. Not everything that happens is God's will. Now, we're going to go through a lot of scripture in a second, and I hopefully you've got them in notes and you're going to look these up later. But let me just say this as clearly as I can. Not everything that happens is God's will. Now, I hear people all the time say this phrase, well, everything happens for a reason. And I think it's a little more complex than to just take that statement at face value. Uh, we need to understand that not everything that happens is reasonable. And not everything that happens is from God. But the Bible promises, God's word promises, that he will take everything that occurs and work it to good for those who love him and those who live their life according to the purpose he has for them. That's in Romans 8, 28, where it says God causes all things, all things, to work together for good. Now, it doesn't say God causes all things. He takes everything and he interweaves it and works it in such a way that it's for good if you love him and you live your life called according to his purpose. Now, the other thing we've got to grab hold of is this, is it's not everything is from God and not everything is in the will of God. Uh, it, for instance, was not God's will for the Pharisees to turn away from him. Did you know that? In Luke 7, verse 30, it says it this way in the New King James Version. It says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Now, it was Jesus was saying, you know what, right here, these Pharisees, they were supposed to receive me, they were supposed to be baptized into me, and they rejected God's will. It was God's will. By the way, if you're a Christian today and you've not been baptized, it's God's will for you to be. And uh, you need to know that, that you have a choice whether you're going to fulfill that or not. It wasn't God's will for the Pharisees to reject him, and yet they did. Uh, it wasn't God's will for Jerusalem to be disobedient and not to allow God's protection to come over it. Uh, in Luke 13, verse 34, Jesus said these words. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. God didn't say, I, I designed it this way. Jesus didn't say, this is what I willed. Jesus said, I wanted so badly to draw you in and to love on you and to put my, my, my covering of protection over you. And why did it not happen? You wouldn't let it happen. You wouldn't let it happen. Uh, it's not God's will for anybody to ever be sexually immoral. It isn't God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And whenever anybody is ever sexually immoral, if they commit rape, uh, incest, if they view pornography, if they have premarital sex, if they have uh, 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 homosexuality in their life, none of these are God's will. None of it. Sex is only to be in marriage between a man and a woman. And, and God says, that's my will. That's my desire. And anybody who has sexual encounters outside of that is not in the will of God. By the way, I got pretty emotional a couple weeks ago when a woman was talking with my wife and Pam had to say to her, you got to understand that, that when we talk about this issue here, this wasn't God's will, what happened? It wasn't God's will. 
And we need to grab hold of that. Listen to what it goes on to say. God's will is that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, his own body, in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. And no man should transgress or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this, now by the way, so you get a choice to, to, to act on it or reject it. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his spirit to you. Now, see, it's not God's will for anybody ever to be sexually immoral. How about this? There are certain things that are God's will for you, and I want to ask you if you're always doing them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So it's God's will that you're always rejoicing. It's God's will you're always giving thanks. It's God's will that that you are praying without ceasing. And whenever you're not doing that, you're outside of God's will. You're not doing God's will. God's will is not happening in your life. Not everything that occurs or does not occur is God's will. And we need to grab that. A.W. Tozer talks about this. And and he brings this in a way that that really is meaningful. So I I hope you can grab it from the quote. A.W. Tozer said, God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice, and man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but he fulfills it inasmuch as the eternal decree decided not which choice man should make, but that man should be free to make it. It is God's sovereign, immutable will that you and I have free choice. Now, that means that we can choose to do things that are outside God's will. We can reject it. If you're here today, God loves you so much. He sent his only son to die on a cross for your sins. And whether you understand the power of that love and the meaning of it, let me tell you, it was God's will for Jesus to do that. And it's God's will that you receive it and you come into an an intimate relationship with him. And if you're not in it, then you have that choice. But God says you could choose to accept. You could choose to reject. It is God's will. So the first thing we need to understand is that not everything that happens is God's will. The second thing is this. God does have a sovereign, ultimate, immutable will that will never, ever be thwarted. God has certain things that cannot be changed, certain things that nobody can violate. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, but God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Job 42 verses 1 and 2 says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours will ever be thwarted. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, 13, I know I'm going fast and, and they're in your notes, but listen to this. Ecclesiastes 7, 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what he has bent? And in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider that the Senate cannot rescue us. No, I don't say that. <laughs> okay, I think that's funnier than you do. All right. But in the day of adversity, consider that God has made one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. It says, you know what, when all the things start happening, good, celebrate with God. And when the things go the other way, go, okay, God, somehow you're going to work this for good. But I know ultimately your purpose will never be thwarted. Uh, uh, It was God's will for Jesus to come and to die upon the cross for our sins. And for him to even undergo that amazing, horrible time that we call the the week of the Passion, or that time of Passion. In Acts 2, verses 22 to 24, it 
Peter says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Now listen to this. This man was delivered over by predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. This is a predetermined plan. God planned this out. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a plan B. It was plan A. It was what God wanted to occur. Later on in Acts chapter 4, again it says, For truly in the city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. I uh, was sharing with the men last week that... uh, I, I, Mark Batterson in the book, In the Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, opened my eyes to something that I never thought of. You know what? Jesus never, ever, ever lost an argument. Nobody could intellectually take Jesus on. He always won. So, so you know what? When he stood in front of Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate started to interrogate him, Jesus did not say a word. Why? Because if he had spoken, Pilate would never have sent him to the cross. He knew that. He knew he could talk his way out of it. Pilate already wanted out of this. And, and so Jesus, because it was a predetermined plan from God, stood there, silent, ready to die for you and me. And because this was God's plan. And it could not be stopped. Nothing could ever happen. Now, by the way, you need to know, not only was it God's will for Jesus to suffer and for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, this part, if you have been listening, this part of the sermon, this part you're not going to like. Get ready. It is God's will for you to suffer at times. Now, you might go, whoa, wait a minute. No, 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 it's God's will. And why? Because it makes you better. It makes you stronger. If you haven't caught it, God is more interested in your character than your comfort. God is more interested in in you growing into the person he's created you to be. And at times, we've got to go through those things. And that Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, 17, where it says, for it is better if God should will it that you suffer for doing what is right. God will will this. It'll be times in your life that it's there. And God has got a, a plan for you and he needs to strengthen you and get you stronger and better. We talked about this last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to grab the sermon. But the bottom line is God in his will has determined certain things to take place. Some of it is that you would go through times of testing. Now, God has set these certain things and he has predetermined them. And, and he has not only done it for individuals, he's done it for nations. In Acts 17, 24 to 29, it says, The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in a temple made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation on mankind to live on the face of the earth. Now listen to this next part. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. God's determined how long a nation will last and how, how when it will go out of existence. God has determined the borders it would have or not have. And now why did God do this? Verse 27 goes on to say, He did this that we would seek God. If perhaps we might grope for him and find him even though he is not far from us. God said, I, I did this and I determine it, and I might bring Israel back into existence. Why? Because I want to affect the world in such a way that people will reach out for me. 
and I'll allow uh, uh, North and South Korea to split, and I determined that to happen, and he said, I'll take and use the, the people in it, whether they mean it for good or not, and I'll do it in such a way. Why? So people will turn and want to have me more than ever. I, I'll, I, I predetermined that China would be, the, the, you know, this country and the number of people that would live in it, and, and that for a period of time, Christianity would be robust and exciting, and then God allowed in his will the Mao to rise up and turn and persecute Christians, and by the way, the church has never grown stronger than during that time, and when China now has opened up, we're going in and seeing an amazing number of Christians in China. Uh, Fuller uh, Theological Seminary says, while it's hard to tell because of the underground church, there may be, there may be as many born-again Christians in China right now than there are people living in the United States of America. And, and you know, God knew that. He, he, he knew this kind of thing would happen. And so we need to understand that God's will is never thwarted. How about this? You really do have a predetermined time you're going to die. You only have a number of days that you're allowed to live. Job 14 verse 1 says, Man who was born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Since his days are determined, the number of months is with you, and his limits you have set so you cannot pass. God, he's talking about God. God, he goes, God has set our limits. Job says, Lord, you set our limits so we can't pass by it. Now, how does all this work together? It's more complex than just saying God picked a day. And, and, but the bottom line is God has set a limit on how long you and I will live. And he's never promised you the next heartbeat. He's never said that you get the next breath. He's just said, I, I have a particular number of days and I have things I want to have happen in the midst of them and you can choose to accept some and not others. But here's the bottom line. On the day that God uh, conceived you, he also determined which day that would be your last day. And, and you can't live a day beyond it. Um, and, and we need to understand it. Now, some people don't like what we're talking about here, and they, they want to quarrel with God. But let me share what God's answer to that is. And whether you like it or not, here's what the Lord tells us in Isaiah 45, verse 9. Destruction is certain for those who argue with their creator. Does a clay pot ever argue with its maker? Does clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop! What are you doing? You're doing it wrong. Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father and mother, why was I born? Why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord, the creator, the Holy One of Israel says. Do you question what I do? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created the people who live in it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the millions of stars are at my command. Now grab what God says. He says, I'll tell you, you need to understand who's in charge here. You need to understand how things work. And whenever we get away from that, well, you know what? We're, we actually are facing uh, an impending tragedy. Uh, we don't want to be like the two women who were very, very best friends and their birthday was a week apart and they both turned 74 years old within the same week. And they got in their car, and they're heading out to have a birthday celebration, you know, a lunch somewhere. And, and, and Irma, who's sitting in the passenger seat, they're driving along, and all of a sudden, they go through a red light. And she looks over at Gracie, and she thought, oh, and, and they go through another red light. And she looks over and thought, oh, and now her heart's kind of beating. She thought, are we going to make 75? And then they go through a third red light. And she looks over and says, Gracie, you just ran three red lights. And Gracie said, I'm the one driving. Uh, I, I've been laughing about that one all week. And, uh, 
But here's the thing. See, if you don't realize your, you know, your choice in the matter and, your, and where you don't have a choice, if you don't start to grasp hold who God is and, and what we have a right to do or not have a right to do, God says, I want you to know, this is who I am. And, and, and God doesn't change for us. Uh, uh, we, you know, don't invent him. We don't write into who he should be. A wise person realizes the immensity of God. And we, in the midst of everything, while he does allow us to talk and share with him, we have to understand God is sovereign. Uh, God's ways, by the way, are not our ways. Uh, in Romans 11, verse 33 through 36, it says, On the, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord... Or who became his counselor? In other words, who can go tell God what to do? Or who has first given to him that he might not be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Now notice it said how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. Origen, one of the early church fathers who existed way back at the beginning of the church said this. Paul did not say that God's judgments were hard to search out, but that they could not be searched out at all. He did not say that God's ways are hard to find out, but that they are impossible to find out. For however far one may advance in the search and make progress through an increasing earnest study, even when aided and enlightened by the mind of God's grace, he will never reach the final goal of his inquiries. You're never going to have every question answered, and you're never going to understand God completely, and, and it's okay to learn, and we should actually throw ourselves into getting to know him better and better, but God is so amidst, so unfathomable, his ways are so unsearchable, they're so far beyond us, we just need to accept it. Elizabeth Elliot said this, she goes, today is mine, and tomorrow is none of my business. If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see what is clearly in front of me right now. And uh, you know what, is, is we've just got to come to a place, a, a balance to this idea of expectation, but a lot, a lot of contentment. Now, some people, and some of you today who are investigating Christianity, or you're new or invited here, you might say, I don't think I can do this. Uh, if I can't understand God, if I can't get it, then I don't know if I want to do it at all. And I would tell you two things. One is uh, the good news is God really is God. There is a God. And aren't you glad that he's not so small we can understand him? But second of all, if you think, well, I can't understand him. I, I don't know if I can live like that. I want you to know you do it all the time. The vast majority of people in this room do not understand electricity. So you don't walk into your house at night going, no, I don't understand electricity, so I'm not turning on the light. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, the vast majority of us in this room don't understand computers. And, and, and you know, I got to, uh, let's think about that. And, and you know, uh, we walk, and all of us who really don't truly get a computer, do you go, well, then forget it. It's just too complex, too quick, too fast. No, no, no. You, you learn what you can, and you get the majority you can, and it, and it makes your life hopefully better. Uh, uh, Guys, how many of you understand women? And do you say, well, if I can't understand them, I don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, you know what? The reality is there's lots of things we don't understand, but we still can get amazing joy out of it. And, and that's what I want you to grab hold of. So let me give you something to remember, some things to remember. And, and, and I'll, let me say again, I, I didn't pretend in our talking right now that we're going to answer every question. As a matter of fact, if you haven't caught it, I just said we're not going to. But there's so many things we can't understand we should hold on to. But how about this? Let's, let's think this through. 
If you step in front of a moving car and it hits you, whose fault is it? Is it the driver's? Is it God's fault? Or is it yours? And I think we all know the answer on that one. How about this? If someone builds a house on a side of a cliff and it rains and the house falls and slides down, who's to blame? Is God to blame for that one? If people build a house in an area where a tornado is known to hit, when it hits and tragedy ensues, whose fault is it? Now, this one becomes a little bit personal. Let me tell you why. Because this, when I asked the question early on, where is God when a tornado hits and a trailer's lifted into the air and comes crashing down and a child was inside and dies? And, and I don't want to say at all that's not a tragedy and that's not heartbreaking. But let me tell you that that is a real example that I know of. But here's the killer of it all. The father in this case who was not home when this hit said, I don't know why I did it. That's the third time a tornado has hit in that exact area and it's the third time it's caused that kind of destruction and I put that trailer right where I knew it was coming. Do we step back and go, God, what were you doing? When you build a home in Tornado Alley, it's called. And see, it just my point is, is God does have control. Could he have guided the tornado the other way? Well, we're going to get into all those things. But, but the bottom line is sometimes we just got to step back and say, God, we can't understand it all. But we can understand this. You are loving and you are wise. And in the end, whenever you do what you do, you do it with the ultimate, ultimate view of having people come into a relationship with you. And God, you do the best possible. Not, not, not they couldn't do better. I mean, it's the best. God only does the best. So uh, when a husband goes into a store to buy milk and all of a sudden is shot, this, this, where's God? I, I saw a movie that's actually fairly older, but I still love this movie. It's called Regarding Henry. Uh, Harrison Ford starred in it. And he was a high-powered executive rising up in his firm, making more money than he knew what to do with, with a wife and a child. And uh, he ran into a store to buy milk, and he turned, and the, there was a man robbing the store at the counter. And the guy turned on him, and he tried to say, no, 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 no. And all, man, the guy shot him. And he ended up surviving, but the problem was he had to go through a long rehabilitation process that affected him physically, affected him mentally. He lost big, big chunks of his memory. He wasn't sure who he was. He had to learn to read, write, walk again. He had to learn to brush his teeth. And his wife just was by his side and caring for him and loving him the whole time through. And, and he lost his job and he didn't, his income was quickly going down. And, and because they couldn't be in that social scene anymore and he wasn't that respected individual, they found out that their friendships were not really real friendships and everybody started disappearing. And uh, in the movie, uh, he begins to start discovering who he is. He wrestles through what it means to walk again or talk again. And then he's horrified to learn that uh, his wife didn't know it, but he had been carrying on a long-term affair. And when he realized that's who he had been, it broke his heart. I mean, he just is crying, gushing. And, and he's like, I can't believe I did that. Look who she is. Why would I? And, and he was so grieved over the sin he committed. Well, he ends up confessing it and she forgives him. And, and he turns from being a very cold, uh, very, very 
uh, uh, so directionally towards success that his family was left behind. He turns out to be an affectionate husband. There's a scene in the movie where he grabs her hand and she's like, oh, like almost ready to jump because she didn't know what to do because he had never held her hand before. And now he's hugging her and he's joking and he's laughing and, and he's still got these issues he's working through. And, and he chases his child through the house. He never had done that before. And the child runs and he stops and sees the maid. And the housekeeper looks at him and she says, wow, I gotta be honest, Henry. She said, I like you a lot better now after you were shot than before. And then he says, me too, me too. Can God take a moment like that and do things that just we can't always understand, but we can just go, okay, I can trust you with? Now, some of you go, well, that's a movie. Well, a few years ago, um, uh, uh, Sean Robertson and Sandy Robertson had to live this out. They're both from Corona, and uh, Sandy is my wife Pam's sister's best friend. And when she married Sean, there was the celebration and excitement. And, and, and he went on to have a very successful career as an attorney. And he ended up giving his life to Christ. And, and he became that spiritual dad and, and, and father and husband and an attorney that he should be. He really directed his life spiritually. Uh, Sandy was sharing with me that she'll never forget one particular Christmas. It was like the Christmas of Christmases because they were that family they were supposed to be. And they were so excited to be together. And the way he was about the Lord and the way he was with his kids and, and the things he was teaching them, he became the main teacher uh, about God in their lives. But then in February, they were at a party at some friend's house that he was also representing her in a very messy divorce. And uh, then they needed to get back and, and you know, uh, uh, home because of the children. And so they drove home and, and they were talking and laughing. And then when he got there, he was going to take the babysitter home. And, and he said, hey, I'll grab some milk. And uh, Sandy didn't know where he was. I mean, it's late in the night. It's two in the Where's my husband? And he's just not back yet. No one knows why. But Sean had, had grabbed the milk, was driving back to his house, ended up pulling up in front of where the party was, and left the milk in the car, his wallet in the car. I mean, he obviously thought he was just going to run in and come out. No one knows what he went in for. But when he ran into the house, the estranged husband was there holding a gun on everybody. And uh, Sean, seeing what happened, got the guy's eyesight and attention on him and moved him on purpose away from everybody else so the gun now was only on him. And for some reason, the man pulled the trigger. And Sandy and her children, it's gone. Life as they knew it, everything they could hope for, just erased. And uh, they rallied around the faith that Sean had taught them. And, and what happened at the funeral was people, I mean, I heard over and over people said, man, I have never seen anything like this. Sandy came in wearing white. The kids wore white to celebrate they knew where he was and everything he meant. And they went through all of the tough, stirring emotions uh, that, that, that grieved them. But in the end, their faith and their love of God and God's presence took them through. But the one thing for Sandy is she said, I just can't do Christmas again. I mean, Christmas had so much memory, and she, it just couldn't be a day she could enjoy. And she started saying, God, am I ever going to love Christmas again? And uh, she ended up meeting another man and, and, and got married, and she ends up getting pregnant, and they tell her, your baby's going to be due on Christmas Day. And she thought, Lord, you did it. You did it. 
Well, she was standing at a target and um, praying, and she said the Lord spoke to her and said, what are you going to name your little girl? And she stopped and thought, wow, you know, God doesn't speak. She's sure it was God. And she said, um, Lord, I'm really hoping it's a boy. And, and the voice really strongly said, no, you need to choose a name for your girl. And she walked over and looked at the, all these books on naming children, and she's looking for a name, and all of a sudden the name Tasha jumped out at her. And she uh, thought, wow, okay, I'll, I'll take Tasha. And, and just if, if that's, Lord, and she really, since God was saying, name this baby Tasha. Well, Christmas time comes, and uh, Tasha comes a little early. She's born on Christmas Eve. And uh, when she announces the name, her mom says, do you know what Tasha means? And she said, no. She goes, well, it's from Natasha, and it means born on Christmas Day. And she got her Christmas back. Now, now, where was God in all this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, we don't know all of it, but we can say this. God was there loving Sandy and her children. God was there to restore Christmas back again. God was in a target with her saying, I want us to name this little girl together. Now, I don't understand everything God does, but I know he does those things. And in the end, a wise person, I really believe, says, okay, God, you're so big, I can't get it all, but I can do this. You're loving, I can trust you, and you love me. And you've got a plan for my life. Today, I want you to know, no matter where you're at with God, I can promise you this, he loves you, and he cares about you. And, and if you're not in an intimate relationship with him, it's your choice, and you can choose to accept or reject. That's God's will. But let me tell you God's desire, God's desires that you would accept. And if anybody is not in an intimate relationship with God where you're knowing him and letting him love you and guide you and, and it's a growing relationship, if you're not in that, then it's your choice. It's not his. His will, his choice is that you would come to him. And today, if you would like to give your life to Christ, if you would like to enter into this life in an intimate relationship with God, here's what you need to do. You need to just pray and tell him you need to say yes. And I'm going to lead a prayer right now. And, and in the middle of the prayer time, I'm going to stop and invite anybody here who wants to commit their life to Christ and accept this life with him to pray a prayer with me right where you're sitting. Today, though, some of you may have at one time been in a relationship with God and you've moved away from that. Well, you know what? It's God's will for you to come back. It's his heart's desire for you to come back, but it's your choice. And if today at one time you used to have this vital relationship with the Lord and you're not in it right now, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with us too. I know God's heart. If there's anyone here right now who's not in an intimate relationship with him, connected to him, he loves you. He wants this for you. And I can tell you this, it's his will for you to say yes, but it's your choice whether you do or not. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are God and that you're beyond us. And Lord, you do things we don't always understand. You allow things we don't understand. And uh, in the end, I know it's wise for us to say we just are going to trust you. Because you only in the end work these things for good in our life if we let you. And you only in the end have a plan in place that, that fulfills an ultimate purpose for us if we let it happen. And God, you're so amazing. You take even those hurtful times and turn them to good if we let you. So I pray right now that we, every one of us, would just be sold out to you. And, and while we want to grow in our knowledge, we're just going to trust you no matter what. And we're going to live our life completely for you. And, and, and no holding back. And I pray we all would do that. 
Father, today I ask and pray your Holy Spirit would just move and come in this room in a way that you would reveal yourself to us. And Lord, I pray that you would not just pass by without us knowing you're here. And I pray right now, especially for anybody who needs to make a a timed decision, a, a commitment to you where they're sitting, that Lord, that your spirit would touch them, would stir upon them, that they would know that this is their moment in time and that they can and even should come to know you now and commit their life to you. So I pray for anybody who needs to commit themselves to you or recommit. God, please touch them. Please move on them. Please make this your moment with them. I ask that let's keep praying. And right now, if you're right with God, I want you to pray for anybody here who needs to make this decision. But today, if, you, if you're ready, if you want to commit yourself to the Lord and you're ready to pray this prayer with me, right where you're sitting, I want to ask you to do this. Would you let me know you're going to pray this prayer by lifting your hand in the air and look at me? And then you can put it down. Is there anyone today that God's to, wow, praise God, that is so awesome. And praise God right over here for you too. Wow, praise the Lord. Wow, praise God. Right here for you and for you. Praise the Lord for each one of you. And for you, praise God, man, that's awesome. And right here for you too. Wow, praise the Lord. The reason I'm asking you to raise your hands, it helps me to know who's doing this. Oh, praise God for you guys. Let me take a second more. Anybody else I haven't seen yet? I just wanna have you put up your hand where I can see you. Okay, right here, praise God for you. And right here, for all of you that God's touching, right now, just just whisper this prayer with me. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new. And I say, yes, I want this life and I want you. So I open up my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life that you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.